0: We'll give rebellious rebellious for the hour clinic. So
1: let you all know we've been having drinks, and so we're feeling good. We're going to talk about cult, we're here to deconstruct. So thank you so much for coming on. And for those who are only listening, uh, Daniela is a master crocheter. She crochets wherever she goes. So she's right now crocheting for us. And I love this. And her entire dress, she crocheted herself. It's beautiful. Knitting right now, <laughs>
0: knitting. But I crocheted this dress. Yes, I'm sorry. Knitting. And Bells is wearing a sweater that says "slut faming So yes. as we are deconstructing all of the things we are taught, right? I feel like that's very important
1: too. <laughs> Wait, so what is the difference between knitting and crocheting? I'm sorry for my ignorance. So knitting has two
0: needles,
1: and crochet has one,
0: and it's oh. a hook. That's the easiest way to tell it. Apart. Okay, knitting I find to be very, very ASMR. OK, uh, because it's very like soothing back and forth. OK, and actually, like I switched to wooden needles for the podcast, but yeah. the clicking of the metal needles like really is soothing for a lot of people. <laughs> And then crochet, you can make, like, really cool, crazy things.
1: Wait, how—is so, that okay to bring on the plane? Like, they don't give you shit yeah, about that?
0: Sometimes. Actually, this is a great story. So I was traveling <laughs> Greece and Turkey last month, and every time I went through security, they would either take a crochet hook or take knitting Stop. needles. Stop. I was getting less and less things. And I was going through my last security, and I had an eight-hour layover in Cairo, and it's like, I will die if they take my things. Yeah. And both of the security—TSA officers were women— and they just looked at the woman dressed all in crochet. And then we're like, OK, obviously, she's not planning she's to fine. crochet the pilot into the cockpit. Like, she's <laughs> just going to crochet on the flight. As soon as there's a woman, no problem. Oh but, my God. And then take the craziest things. Like, I traveled with a breast pump once. And apparently, breast pump plus knitting means...
1: Yeah, you know, I've heard that actually like a few times about breast yeah, pumps. They're, they're yeah.
0: very weird about what it is. Yeah. But, yeah, so... And knitting is really, really cool because you don't necessarily need your eyes. Yes. That's the first thing.
1: The That's true. Hair. I noticed that you will just, you'll talk to yeah. me, have full conversations, yeah. and you're straight up knitting. And
0: it's also a really, <laughs> really great way to have men completely mesmerized with your intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> men don't do parallel
1: processing the yeah. same way that women do. So, so you would do, would you be I'm knitting during? In Afghanistan,
0: at my desk. As a senior intelligence captain, <laughs> knitted my husband a whole Seahawks-themed blanket that hangs I love in our this. house in a net 12 feet in the air, and it's our innovation space. Oh, my God. But it was funny because I am, you know, like a small blonde woman, and yeah. so from the side, like, yeah. knitting in an army uniform is the best way to get people to reveal their toxic masculinity because they love just it. walk up to you and say the most sexist thing. Yeah. And then I turn, and as they're gagging on the fact that I'm a captain, and they should not have spoken <laughs> to me that way also slowly backing away because they realize I can probably kill them and make it look like an accident because I am talking this fast while still knitting at them.
1: I love it. You should have been like, "Mm, I'm knitting your body back. That would have been fucking great yeah. as you're just
0: shirt t-shirt. I'm going to have to put that on a
1: t-shirt. You're allowed to have it. Well, right <laughs> now. And
0: I it's funny because I usually never tell people what I'm knitting. So yeah. my TikTok, it's me knitting <laughs> and talking about group behavior. And then, then I do yeah. my reveals at the end. I love lately, that. So we've been talking about some really, really hard things. I've been telling everyone like I'm knitting right now a furry Little Red Riding Hood cape for my daughter oh, for Halloween. I so, love that. Isn't
1: that the most beautiful? Uh, so, how, about how long would that take you? A week. Okay, that's not terrible. But so, yeah, I mean, and how many hours a day 40, are you knitting?
0: You know, so I, I make these jackets. They're uh-huh. my Taylor Swift Karma jacket, mm-hmm. and it takes me about. By the a- way, Danielle
1: is a Swifty. Yes. It takes me not a week.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I still say like if even if I sold one of those for three hundred dollars. Fifty dollars in yarn yeah and that would be discounting my labor to only seven and a half dollars per hour right. so people are always like oh you should sell your stuff and i'm like okay do you want to pay 600 dollars for yeah. this jacket
1: yeah yeah it's true it's a it's a labor of love is there any machine that makes it faster but i guess i would defeat the so purpose right? yes and yeah. this is
0: a great thing to talk about when we talk about labor labor trafficking yeah so if you are buying crochet not from a a creator themselves yeah. you're probably supporting slave labor
1: because crochet
0: cannot be done by machines. So this is really popular right now, right? Like all of this crochet stuff, the 70s is coming back in. Mm -hmm. Knitting, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the reasons it is hard to make money knitting is Mm -hmm. because I would have to charge you $100 for this cloak and you can buy one on Amazon for 20 bucks. I see. But crochet cannot be done by machine. It's much more complex. It's literally hooking each stitch around each other. And so any, like when you see a... $25 $25 crochet sweater at Target, somebody is paying slave labor prices for that. Oh, my God. That. I never Somewhere even thought world. about that.
1: So, yeah, people talk
0: a lot about, like, slave-free chocolate or slave-free diamonds.
1: Yeah. Mm, slave-free crochet well, is kind of important. you know, I was when I was in Turkey, I went there on a cruise. And then, of course, a big thing is the Turkish rug, right? Along with Turkish I did, chocolates I and everything. One of those. I yeah. sat in the thing and I... Well, I have to be honest. I was... Really suspicious of how young the children were. It looked a little bizarre. Some of them looked like they literally had, I hate to say it this way, but basically like deformities. And they just used them to make these rugs. And it never sat well with me. I never bought the rug, but the rugs were so expensive. They were like $5,000. And they're like, yes, 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 we're going to ship it to you. I'm like, you're going to take $5,000 of my money right now and maybe I'm going to get it in the mail. This was also 2011. I just was like, no. (laughs) Not having that Well we all know this is not done in slave labor So thank god But also for anyone who is watching the video Or only listening She also has these beautiful earrings That are literally miniature versions of her book Uncultured Which is an amazing memoir Um, Um, And you saw me sell one to the valet Yes she did She sells wherever she goes I love it She's a businesswoman at heart Now this picture on the front How old are you in this picture? I'm two You're two. What you really don't get because they, it looks, it's stretched
0: out, right? So if you take away all these white stripes, that's how tall I am. So I'm only two years old. Only two years old. And and... it's me in Japan Uh being trafficked as, so from. From the age of one to 10, mm-hmm. I was used as an actress. I call myself little Apocalypse Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> <laughs> and the what the Children of God did very successfully mm-hmm. is in the 80s, 70s and 80s, they were known as a sex cult that used yeah. religious prostitution and was advocating pedophilia and incest. Mm-hmm. And in the 90s, they performed twice at the White House.
1: Oh, my God. Did that's how, at the White that's House? how well
0: they rebranded. And that is how, you know, it still is. I I find printed books all the time that say that the children of God ended in 1982 or 1985, and here I am born in 1987, Mm -hmm. very much at the heart of a 10,000-person strong army all across the world. And we simply turned from Mm -hmm. being a sex cult into being a child entertainment trafficking organization. And... I personally argue that they never stopped prostituting us. They yeah. just stopped making us go all the way. But yeah. I, was, you know, I was singing on a beach in Rio in mm. a halter
1: top and a yeah. skirt
0: that showed my belly when I was eight years old.
1: That was one thing in the book. I was kind of shocked at the economics of the children of God. They basically... Used you all as children to go out and panhandle and beg for food and money, and in return you would give out pamphlets or sing for them, any number of things. Yeah, when I was, uh, you know, I still all the time
0: in my fancy neighborhood randomly break out balloon animals at a child's birthday party. (laughs) Balloon animals. How do you know how to do this? I'm like, I was a 14 year old carnival clown (laughs) in Mexico. You know, and That's it's so crazy. Really one of the most amazing cult scholars in the world, Dr. <laughs> Yanya Lalic, she says all the time, cults are always about labor. Yeah. And when I understood that, that was the beginning of understanding everything that happened to yeah. me. And it's so important to put the proper words on it. Right. Like yeah. I wasn't a missionary kid growing up around the world. That yeah. is a photo of me being trafficked yeah. at the age of two from where I was deported. From Japan, you know, yeah. and we cross borders illegally all the time and all of that stuff. Right. But so you it, held American passports. So most of us had American passports. Yeah. I had American passport. But, but like, you were so born so in example, the States. I no, I was born in the Philippines. OK. I was born to a, you know, 15 year old teenager, also grew up abroad in this cult. Mm-hmm. And then we would, for example, I grew up most of my life in Latin America mm-hmm. where we would get a six month passport as an American or a six-month visa yeah and then you just leave and go to out of the country yeah. so we were always taking like bus rides to Argentina or Ecuador or Paraguay and mm-hmm. then you just come back in a different border I see so this is what we were talking about where I say like and you see it in the book a few times like I am very scared of police insecurity mm-hmm. because I've been taught that yeah. my whole childhood yeah. And then I went on to become a security and intelligence officer in the military. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> this is one part of the book where we're lined up to meet the White House, and I've been invited, but I'm still. You're still too. afraid. <laughs> yeah. And I'm the person at the airport that sees the drug
1: dogs. Yeah. Like, Do I have cocaine Even though I never. She did a bump, guys. No, I'm kidding.
0: (laughs) But, But, you know, this thing about labor is one of the things I really like to tell people. So Mm -hmm. I have this 10 part definition of cult and Mm -hmm. step eight is exploitation of labor. Yeah. And I think, you know, a a regularly intelligent person, when you say cults exploit labor, Mm -hmm. they can understand that. And then I say, but also the Department of Defense would close today if they had to pay overtime. (laughs) <laughs> there would most businesses in America. Yeah. And so actually one of the like very tangible tactical tools that mm-hmm. I feel like I can give people to avoid toxic groups mm-hmm. is to say, you know, keep track of how much labor are you giving them mm-hmm. and what are you getting in return? Yeah. And it has to be in this lifetime.
1: Yeah. So how did okay, tell us, bring us back to the beginning of the children of God. It started by this guy, David Berg. David Berg. 1968.
0: Okay. So, and what's, I think, really important with cult leaders is they almost always have really strange eccentric childhoods. Yes. And you almost always Mm -hmm. see this pattern of them trying to build a following. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what it was. They usually jump. You see a lot of entrepreneurs jump, jump, jump. And then they're like, they found their thing. And it (laughs) becomes a part of their success story. But they, so... David Berg was 50-something years old. He was a failed preacher. And then all of a sudden, he's in California on Huntington Beach using his teenage children and music and performance, another important yeah. thing. So very close to, like, Jim Jones. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and he studied Jim Jones. And he studied, like, we yeah. grew up with things like death as the ultimate orgasm, which was a saying of Jim Jones, right? Yeah. And he studied Castro, and he studied david koresh at waco right so we were kind of a an accumulation of this and this is another very common thing is that leaders these kinds of leaders study other dictators and Mm -hmm. authoritarians cult leaders and so he started recruiting people and so my grandparents were two of his very important early recruits so in the history of the children of god they are given this huge property for their first compound Mm -hmm. and it's from a famous radio producer because you know those people are always trying to start cult. (laughs) Um, just a small one (laughs) and so my great grandmother Uh actually donated or gave a house to her daughter as Uh her daughter was going off to join the children of god oh wow okay and that is one of the reasons that my family was so important and that my Mm. family ended up with ties to the leadership. And I always say there's always a cult within a cult. Yeah. So I grew up in the leadership circle of the Children of God. Mm -hmm. Scientology, you have. Did you ever
1: meet David Berg or did he die at this point? I never met him. Okay. But my mother.
0: Yeah. Let me get to that. So Children of God started in it was mostly like 70s. Mm -hmm. Right. And cults, in time, mm-hmm. as well as space, and it's because cults pop up in times of social turmoil. Okay, people are confused and upset with the systems they have and are seeking new ones. And so, Children of God very, very successfully right gets to ten thousand members very quickly. You know, is recruiting famous within like
1: how many years
0: musicians? Yeah. Uh, so from sixty-eight to seventy-two. Oh wow! 10, okay, 000. so very quick. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then. 70s is when you're having Jonestown, you're having the Manson murders, and she just got released last week.
1: Yes. Um,
0: And so our guy, I feel like he was very cleverly did two things. One was he moved out of the U.S., conveniently got a revelation from God that says, go travel the developing world and also Mm -hmm. change your name, which is a really convenient way to hide, of course, from FBI and, and other authorities. But he also... You know, as an entrepreneur yourself, that Mm -hmm. the unique value proposition is very important, right? What is the difference of your organization and all of these other ones? Right. And I think what he realized, he was going to switch up control of sex. So they sold it as free love. Okay. But it was exactly evangelical purity culture just taken and reversed, Right. And there's, I think, in my opinion, a pretty interesting thing that purity culture and pedophilia are on the same through line. Yeah, definitely. Obsession with the sexuality of a child. Yes, absolutely. And control. And so he, you know, I don't call it free love. I call it forced polyamory Mm -hmm. is what he created. And while some people say sex cult is sensational, Mm -hmm. I define our our all of our number one beliefs were around sex. Yeah. And so what he did was essentially go, there's a Bible verse that says, not all things are expedient. Wait, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. Mm-hmm. And there's other Bible verses about doing all things in love.
1: Mm-hmm. And so he
0: uses a combination of these two to essentially say, all love is good. Mm-hmm. God loves, God loves everyone. And we show God's love through sex and God loves children. So very quickly, it ended up with that. My grandmother, three little girls a year apart and was like, I don't like this, which for me is always a good reminder that some people did walk away. Yeah. So she decides she's going to leave. She tells her husband, who was my grandfather, was one of the few like graduate school educated people mm-hmm. who joined, was the CEA of the group, still runs the money to this day. Oh, wow. Still so there. she tells him she's leaving. Mm-hmm. And the next day, her oldest daughter was gone and she never saw her again. Oh and God. I was actually beside my mom when she was 30 and made or 29 and made the first call. I mean, eventually we met her a few yeah, times. Yeah. But she, so my mom was disappeared by her grandfather. I was told two versions of the story. Okay. One that she was dedicated to God by her mother and left behind. Mm-hmm. And later on, the the disappeared story. And I actually put both of those in the book. And this is how I ended up, right, in The Children of God. But when my mother was 13, David Berg gathered a bunch of daughters of the leaders, mm. all leaders. It's very important. It's kind of like you're buying in yeah. to the cult. And so he was sent 14 girls from the ages of 14 to 3, mm. uh, who he married. He called it teen training. He was training them. And mm-hmm. it was, publicly, it was a symbolic marriage to Jesus. But mm. of course, privately, they all had individual yeah. time with the prophet. Yeah, And the most interesting about all of this is that the marriage ceremony was conducted by the mother of the three-year-old. Oh, my God. And ridiculous. his own granddaughter and daughter were involved in it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I talk about this stuff because we hear about pedophiles as random dude doing stuff in secret. Yeah. Right? And that's almost never the case. The reason that people do this to children is almost always about power. And yeah. what gives you more power than being able to summon your leader's daughters to be given to you? Absolutely, right? yeah. That is power. Absolutely. And so then, like, it wasn't like a real polygamous marriage. Yeah. It was a symbolic thing. So then my mother is sent back to, she was a secretary from the age of 12. Mm-hmm. We didn't have education or anything. You just worked. Right. And by 14, she's pregnant from the other man who runs the finances. So my mm-hmm. grandfather's colleague
1: a mm-hmm. few years older than my grandfather. Mm-hmm. So my father's older than my grandfather. Oh, my gosh.
0: So <laughs> one of those fun. Things. That's insane. And so, yeah, and so this is how I come into it, right? Mm-hmm. In the Philippines, daughter of a teenager born abroad. And this is one of those so interesting things when you talk about group dynamics. Uh-huh. Because my family was important, Mm-hmm. Right. I grew up feeling special. Right. I also grew up extremely abused, even mm-hmm. within the children of God. Yeah. And when you look at it from the reverse, right, mm-hmm. of course, nobody was less protected than the daughter of a teenager, also inside the cult. No. It's almost like they were able to use the importance of my family to disguise or right. to abuse the daughters even more. Because are you going to complain? Are you going to speak out when you have the added weight mm-hmm. of your family's good name?
1: But your mom getting pregnant that young kind of changed some things. I remember reading basically it was a really kind of fucked up rule like you could well, It's proof.
0: Yeah. So so David Berg's theory was always that as soon as girls are old enough uh-huh. to menstruate, that means God intended for them to have babies yeah as soon as this policy resulted in a child and it was very significant that it was a child from an older man Mm -hmm. so usually they they could be like oh it it was just another teen right teenagers being teenagers right and so eventually this policy became so in 1986 because of my conception Mm -hmm. it became okay we don't do that anymore Right. Publicly used to be there became all of these rules between what we talk about inside and when we talk about outside. OK, that's a very important part of of cult dynamics, too. Yeah. And how the children and the insiders are programmed to lie, mm-hmm. but for the good of the group. Yeah. But, yeah, his policy was that essentially you can have sex with the girls until they get their periods, at which point
1: <laughs> that is so we now have up. to be careful until they're 16. Until, okay. So basically, so if a girl got her period, which usually it's around 11, 12 years old, usually they were fair game until that point, And then they had to stop until they were 16. Yes.
0: And 16 was specifically because okay. that is the age at which you can just yeah. say teens will be teens. And at 16, my mother was married off to another teenager. Yeah. To which is interestingly, who I grew up for a while thinking was my father. Thinking that was your dad. Um, yeah. That was kind of their cover up.
1: What did, what did the different countries think of the community? Did they basically just don't ask, don't tell? Was it a little bit of, like, out of sight, out of mind because there were so few of you? So it in a lot of cases, it depends, Yeah, right? Like, David Burke tried to go
0: open up a kibbutz in Israel. Bless the Jewish people. They were very <laughs> good at being like, get out of here, we don't want you.
1: Know? And that's interesting because uh, wasn't he known as, like, an anti-Semite? Well, he definitely... Be- so his his family were Jewish people that came over
0: and then converted to their own kind of cults oh, back okay. in the day. And then his One mother was an evangelist, revivalist here in Florida in the 30s. But he did, <laughs> All the he crazies became, come here. He became very anti-Semitic. Yeah. And the rationale for that was they didn't accept us, right? So this whole Christian idea of the Jews are worse than anyone else because they could have accepted Christ and they didn't. mm mm-hmm. So we were definitely raised with all of that. He was also very homophobic, very racist, all of the different things. But so other countries tried. Mm-hmm. Right? So Australia tried. Uh, Argentina tried. And that's in the book where we in Argentina, the mm-hmm. communes were raided and the people were taken away. And, you know, partially it's helped by a bunch of Americans living abroad because mm-hmm. most countries don't want international incidents with Americans. So in Australia, they arrested a hundred something adults, but they only kept the twenty one. Aus- uh, sorry, Argentina. They only kept the twenty one Argentines ah, in okay. prison, and they also released the children very, very quickly because now you're holding a bunch of American children, in mm, this and they didn't want that. Yeah. And this was a similar situation in Jonestown. Yeah, right? and so mm-hmm. there's a reason that yeah. these Americans move their people to other countries. Yeah, and then I would also just say, you know, in my book, you see it where the walls, right? So in cults, holding yourself separate from the world is very, very important. Yeah. And in a lot of other countries, especially like developing nations or what we called back then third world countries, where you have a much bigger gap between the have and the Mm -hmm. have-nots, like everyone's property has a wall around it. Yeah. This is actually one of the big shock things for me to land in LA and and be in (laughs) San Diego and be like, you can just like, Go like anywhere. in Brazil, you can't just walk up to a five-bedroom house and knock on the door. Like you walk up to the wall yeah. and you ring the doorbell. So it's much easier to hide your communes of questionable behavior. And it's also countries where child labor is much more accepted. Right? Yes. So growing up in Brazil, we were be begging out on the streets at all hours of the day or night. As soon as we got to America, mm-hmm. you can only be out in the afternoons after school.
1: So when you were begging, what? What was the typical response? Did they feel sorry for you? Did they understand how terrible this cult was, or were they just kind of like, "Of course, nobody understood." What the hell that? is this and, blonde and girl doing was, here?
0: <laughs> it's very interesting. There's actually a chapter three of the book where we're programmed to lie, as in Rolling Stone magazine. So if anyone wants to read it, you can get a little a little free chapter there. But so so all cults, you have to understand like how people are programmed to lie to the public. Mm -hmm. But of course, it's not taught to you that way, right? So we're out here on the streets begging. It doesn't look like begging. It looks like a happy, shiny 10-year-old coming up to you and in your language, like a foreign child in your language, telling you, I'm a missionary. Do you want to buy this thing? Got it. And again, you're in cultures where begging on the street is much more... Almost like salts when you approach someone in America. Whereas like in Brazil, they're in the restaurants coming up to your tables. That's that's true. Just a normal thing. Got it. So it definitely works there. So yeah. So it was it was different. And an important part of keeping people committed to the cult was this Mm -hmm. idea that we don't work in the world. We live by faith and God always provides. And by God always provides, it means our children. Yeah. Essentially raise the money for us and are the labor.
1: One thing that was kind of struck me in the book is how much you guys basically had to like beg for food. I mean, you're in what I would consider like a fertile area where you could learn to farm and, you know, basically live off the land. Is it you guys just did not have enough land to do that? Or why wasn't that skill basically passed down? I just felt like this was such a inefficient way to continue. I've never (laughs) thought about that before, actually.
0: But I think like... The whole idea Uh was God provides for us, right? So if we're doing it for ourselves, it's probably not the same. Mm -hmm. But also, it was a way of, I think, whitewashing the cult, right? If you live in a commune and you grow your own food, like Mm -hmm. you're now a separatist thing that people are worried about. But if every Friday you're getting donations from the market of old food that they don't eat, you're feeding your whole commune, but you're also giving 50 to 80... Bags of basic supplies out in the slums, Mm -hmm. you have a quote-unquote real mission work. And the part that nobody sees is that I was outside from 7 to 2 every Friday in the heat at the age of 10 sorting vegetables.
1: Was there ever a time you did not get donations and, like, literally would not have dinner? Or were they pretty good about it?
0: So I was almost always in the leadership Mm commune, And so what we had was we didn't necessarily live only on donations we also lived on the tithes or we could call Uh, the taxes of the other people okay so certainly my which is crazy because hunger is a big thing in my book how I was always under undernourished but certainly we were better off than some of the children did go hungry you know another thing is I grew up in Brazil and Mexico so Uh I never had to be cold yeah. The children growing up in Europe were always freezing Ugh. and actually putting, I didn't even think about putting <laughs> not well dressed children out on the street in the cold is a way to get people to feel sorry for them. And give what, them money. what countries
1: in Europe were you guys also in? All over. A huge
0: presence in Italy. Yeah. All, all over Europe. Either way, it all gets cold. All over Europe, especially yeah. in the 80s.
1: Oh my God. And I was
0: just talking to someone who was literally telling me about a time that they were out mm-hmm. on the street for about five hours in the snow with no tights and the number of people uh, that gave them money to buy the child tights. And then it's just over and over again. Yeah.
1: But it's probably not wearing the tights brought in more money. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah. Like five yeah. different
0: people gave them money to buy <laughs> tights. And they yeah. So they play tights. the game. Yeah. So it's it's all a part of the game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is an interesting thing. Like, I was just with my friend in Greece and Turkey, Danielle, who you meet in the book. And she was kind of admonishing me, you know, like, oh, these children are are Roma. They're attached to organized crime. Mm-hmm. Be careful. Mm-hmm. And my kind of flip side of that is, is it the children's fault? Yeah. Right? Like, if you give $20 to that child, yes, it's going to organize crime. But that child's going to get to eat. Yeah. The child's going to get to go home earlier.
1: Yeah, so I was going to get hit less. Oh, you probably have such a, an empathetic side to it that. No one would ever even. <laughs> when I was in Afghanistan, you know, we had these
0: on bazaars yeah. the on post. And you know, the big thing was scarves. You get these beautiful scarves for right. three or four bucks. People would always be like, why aren't you negotiating? I'd be like that scarf is three cents in China. And I'm like, first of all, it's $30 in America. Yeah. And second of all, I'm not negotiating with a six year old on right. the street. Yeah, like, I'll just pay the money. Yeah. But yeah, it is because I've been there and I
1: know. Yeah. Oh, I got it. I never even thought about it that way. And then also, so the other Children of God views, I noticed that they literally deconstruct the family unit. So basically, after a certain age, you go sleep with the children's quarters and you really only get one day with your biological mother. Does it get to the point where some people don't even know who their biological mother is or father? Or they know, what so it's just for sure because yeah. we were the the sort of polyamorous. We knew it, but you know.
0: So first of all, familial language is mm-hmm. very important for manipulating people. Yeah, you know, I always tell people if someone calls itself your family, they want to overwork you, underpay you, and expect you to put up with more bullshit than yeah. you would otherwise. And there are over three thousand cults that use the name the family, mm-hmm. which is what we rebranded as. But it's a really important part of breaking people down, right is breaking up families. So my so I grew up knowing that my grandmother had just gone one day, right? And my mother yeah. never got to see her again. Yeah. And even though we were told the happy positive version of that, to me, it was, oh, well, if I'm not perfect, my mother might just disappear someday, right? Or if she's not perfect. And so that's part of control. You know, my mother ended up married to uh, Uncle Zephaniah in the book, Mm -hmm. who was an older uncle. And like he was separated from his wife because they had too many kids together and they were like getting along. So they'll
1: separate you up. You have a good marriage. Time to end up. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And
0: so it's a it's a big part of control. It is a threat. Yeah. Right. And Mm -hmm. there was absolutely a belief that if people break up and one of them wants to leave the cult, it's your job to keep children. Yeah. So that was a big part of it. But it's, you know, uh, I always say that if a psychologist had to talk about my life, it's probably like someone who grew up in a group home, even though I knew who my mom was, I only got to see her for one hour a day. And then Saturday nights and Sundays.
1: And at what age did that kind of start happening the one hour a day? How old That were you? was as essentially as soon as you were weaned? And, and oh, really, as soon so as you were weaned,
0: right? And so I was probably at six months. Oh, my God. And six months was also <laughs> the age that he said children needed to start being spanked for a
1: bad six behavior. Six months. They're not even talking. Right. That's incredible. Yeah. So th- that was another thing that really struck me in the book was how much violence in the name of discipline— in the name of corrective behavior for the lord there was towards children just unbelievable and you know it seems crazy and unbelievable but as we sh-
0: saw in the documentary shiny happy people mm-hmm. you know a lot of Which evangelicals believe mm-hmm. yeah. that four to six months is the age that children start becoming willful and that's the age you four need to, to start six training them to act right and yeah. You know, it's one of those things in even a lot of trauma recovery that Mm -hmm. there's this concept of going back to before the trauma. Mm -hmm. We don't have that. Yeah. essentially from birth.
1: How has that changed you having a daughter? Do you do you believe in spanking at all? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. With one of my,
0: even before I knew all of the actual psychological arguments about it, right. I was just like, no, I, yeah. I, you know, I've seen too many people lose control or I've seen it done in a, a way that I, I would never approve of. Mm-hmm. And so if this is a line I never crossed, then I'll never cross it.
1: I was, you know, I had the typical upbringing. There definitely was some spanking, but even just that small amount that I got. I immediately was just like no. It felt it felt so instantaneous to me that this was not right. And and that's part of
0: it, you know, trying to explain where I was like I knew growing up. Mm-hmm. I was like I never the only motivation I ever needed was to not disappoint my mom. Like yeah. I never had to be hit. Yeah. But nobody took the time to explain anything to me. They would just hit me. Yeah. Yeah, and so, and, and of course, the book opens up with a, a group spankings. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly, that is where we start. You exactly, but I, I would, I take it even further than that. And mm-hmm. I, you know, we have a seven-year-old daughter, and I say, like, I got the daughter that everyone wished on me.
1: You know, like, I,
0: <laughs> I look at my husband all the time and say, now imagine that under complete attitude control.
1: Yeah, but
0: like our hard and fast rule in our house, mm-hmm. the swear all the time. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're veterans, Mm -hmm. but literally the words you cannot say is because I told you so. Yeah. Right. So in the children of God, asking why Mm -hmm. was the worst thing you could do. And we see it in the chapter where we really take you to the worst of the worst is because I ask a simple question and I proceed to have just many, many hours of torture. And not only you know, started off as my way to be like, I'm never going to do that. I'm going to force myself to explain myself to my child. It's such an important thing. You know, we see it all the time. I talk about how when I joined the army, you know, I'm an officer. They tell you they want new officers to bring outside perspectives. And then you get in and it's shut up and sit down, Lieutenant. This is the way we've always done it. Yeah. And so I am a huge fan of questioning things. And what my husband and I have found is that Because we're all programmed, right? Mm -hmm. And so much of parenting is just the whims of the adults controlling the child. Mm -hmm. And we explain ourselves probably 50% of the time we're right. Right. Probably the other 50% of the time we realize, oh, no, I don't actually have a rationale for that. Right. So you're right, you know, or we will let her mount her case for things. And this is, you know, I think it's actually my audio director who said to me, you know, there's a tension and cultured mm-hmm. between intelligence and obedience yeah you know which is even i go on to be an intelligence officer in the army and yep. people say to me all the time like how did you have a successful army career <laughs> said, well because my job was to look at my boss and tell him that he was gonna die yeah if he persisted on his way right, you know right. like my job was to play the devil's advocate the yes. whole purpose of intelligence yeah. Is to question But you were
1: allowed to what contribute you to you no. Know. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And the children of God, you weren't allowed to contribute. Right. And intelligence was seen as a bad thing. Yes. Yeah, you know, which I think was some other belief systems that um actually, you know, growing up here in Palm Beach County, I, I did go to a Christian school, had your kind of like typical it, it was it was considered Presbyterian, but it was a little bit more non denominational. Evolution was one hundred percent looked down upon, even here. Even in our Christian school, it actually took me quite a few years to break that thinking. It actually wasn't until— um, Wait, you think evolution was looked down upon? Yes. Science was Evolution and science, okay. basically, and believe it or not, at oh, our oh, yeah, knowing everything, Cre- creationism. Creationism was, yeah. was what was taught. Evolution and science was looked down upon. It, believe it or not, our science teacher at the school we went to was also the bus driver. Not that that makes him a bad person, but he clearly was not. You know, he was not certified properly to teach science. In fact, one day he came into class. No joke. He said, "Children, I believe in the Big Bang," and we're like. And in our heads, we're like, oh, how could you believe in the Big Bang? And he was like, God said, bang. And there it was. And everyone's like, oh, my God, you're amazing. I mean, it was absolute horseshit. But, (laughs) you know,
0: but maybe also not that different than what the children in the cult were dealing with. So like we had our history lessons were was a book that our prophet wrote called 7000 Years of World History. And it was what (laughs) he decided was important. Our science was basically nothing. I mean, basically we didn't have science or math because it's hard to explain those away. So we, you know, they would cut out even if we had outside books. Mm -hmm. Everything about evolution was cut out, or pages were glued together. It's very relevant in today's era of book burning and banning books. Absolutely. This Unfortunate case. Like, yeah, yeah. It's one of my one of my Ten Commandments for good groups that aren't cults is <laughs> they do declare per- very loudly that information is never bad. Exactly. And it's Even something interesting when you look at all of this like homeschooling stuff where it's like I think it's always problematic, but mm-hmm. there's a very different it's very different when the homeschooling is done for a better education or when it's done to limit the information. Oh, I don't know if you've heard of the Joshua generation, uh-uh. the evangelicals that's like our age, but they okay. were homeschooled and like Jed Duggar, who's now oh, yes. going yes, out to course. be a politician. Yeah. And so this was true in the children of God. And this is something to this day, people all the time, they're like, oh, you don't seem like a cult survivor. Mm-hmm. And I just look at them and go, how many have you met? Exactly. Well, uh, similar what one thing I like? get told, I don't seem like a woman veteran. Yeah, And the thing is, like, we were not. We were not educated in any way, shape or form. Right. It was no education. Mm -hmm. but We were taught to read. Yeah. And when a five year old can stand there and debate the King James version of the Bible with you, you're probably not concerned that they're not being educated. Yeah, that's a great point. All of our education was a smokescreen Mm -hmm. for the fact that we weren't educated. Yeah. But it was made for us to appear very smart and very worldly and very it's right give a perfect there's a reason amazon titled the documentary happy shiny people right right? it's like when you met me as a beautiful blonde Mm seven-year-old who could sing in three languages and explain the bible to you Mm -hmm. you were probably not going this child is being sexually abused and denied an education absolutely trafficked for labor
1: The other thing, um, which this was different, we actually did learn about this, about the Holocaust. So you guys were, what did you guys learn about the Holocaust or you just did not learn it? I don't know that we learned much about it at all. We, so for the most part,
0: where I say we're like Americans grew up studying like Churchill or or Washington, right? Like the leaders that we grew up with that David Berg idolized was Fidel Castro. Mm -hmm. We met. Omar Gaddafi. Who he met, yeah. All ended. Right. Rasput- <laughs> Stalin, and yeah. definitely like Hitler was a misunderstood man who had a oh. few good points. I, I, right? uh, so we didn't, yeah, learn and. Please don't take that out of context. Don't <laughs> <No, laughs> put no. that in my voice. Right? But no, not at all. We. We're not told like some, it -hmm. wasn't complete Holocaust denial, but I wouldn't say I had a good idea
1: of what the Holocaust was. Was it more like it wasn't as bad as it they say it was? I'm air quoting because anyone's... It wasn't as bad as they say it was. It was all
0: overblown. And interestingly enough, many of the children that grew up in the Children of God, it basically depends on where we landed. I see. And this is, there's a good quote, where you stand is where you sit. And <laughs> right. basically, if we ended up in blue liberal centers, we became open to learning and love all kinds of Interesting. people. And okay. if we ended up in conservative red centers, like many of those people are Holocaust deniers. Yeah, many of those people got right in. It's similar ideology. Yeah, and so essentially, what happens when you leave a cult is if you're not unpacking mm-hmm. what you were programmed with, uh-huh. you're just going to find the same thing. Other format.
1: So if Berg wrote this book that he says everything's about 7,000 years old, like, did you guys understand like dinosaurs or like (laughs) it was like (laughs) this word? Like, I remember when when you said, like, oh, we didn't learn about evolution, like, I literally
0: remember being 10 years old and like gossiping with another girl about her older sister who'd left the family. And the Uh big deal was that she believed in
1: evolution. Yeah. And that was like, I still have people in my family that that really believe uh, in creationism to the point where they're unwilling to even discuss like science-based evidence that even like a reputable reputable magazine like Discovery or Time come out with. They're like, no. So we were at, you know, it's interesting in a cult because you just control
0: all the information. So So you don't even really have to deal with any of that so did you know what a dinosaur was we knew dinosaurs were a lie but were other
1: other than being like i couldn't have named a type of dinosaur so in my in my christian school they're like oh dinosaurs are real they're in the bible the book of job which honestly i don't remember the verse but i have had that one too i think (laughs) and and i was like oh okay that makes sense you know i'm just this young it wasn't until about i want to say third grade Second or third grade, where you start learning how to do percentages. So I remember learning percentages, okay? And I was like, oh, that's really cool. I really enjoyed mathematics. It really helped me kind of understand the world. Definitely led me into my, my uh, career of tech. And then we went to uh, social studies after that. And they were explaining at the time, this was what, 1996 or something like that, about 6 billion people were on the planet. And then we went to Bible class later that day. I remember this sequentially so well because in Bible class, they were explaining that there was only like maybe a million Christians in the world. And I'm like, maybe I have that wrong. Maybe it was a billion at the time, but either way, the percentage threw me off so badly. I'm like, majority of the world is going to burn in hell because they're not Christian. When I tell you I... Literally went into a deep depression for about two days. I'm in third grade. I could not understand. It blew my mind. But you know, this is an important discussion yep. about religious trauma, mm-hmm. right? Because this is what, and no one had an answer for you me. Know, exactly. No, exactly. And when
0: we talk about, you know, so first of all, one of the worst scenes in my book starts because we learned to play broken telephone, mm-hmm. and we were taught that. The book of Genesis was handed down by word of mouth for 500 years, mm-hmm. and then Moses wrote it all down one day. Right. Right. Which is, again, very old, archaic, evangelical belief that was mostly used to defend slavery. Right. Um, but that's what we were taught. And mm-hmm. then we're six, I'm six, and I learned to play broken telephone, and I'm immediately like, well, how can the Bible be true? Right. Like, <laughs> right. obviously, yeah. some of it was distorted, being passed down. By the way, one of the reasons that a lot of coercive religions use the King James Version Mm. is because it's archaic language that's hard to understand. And so it's kind of the same reason the Catholic Church didn't want the Bible translated into Latin. Yes. Because if people can understand your religious text, you lose control. And so, you know, he set himself up as, I'm the only one that can authorize this or challenge this. Mm -hmm. But also, you're just so much taught not to question. And I think that's one of the things— and I hear it in your story, too. And I'm like, I don't know if it's like if it's like like for me, I'm not neurotypical. So like maybe it was that or maybe it's just the like math percentages. Right. Like when things don't make sense. Yeah. when it doesn't make logic. You know, so for one me, of the- it was 100
1: percent logic. And I have to admit, out of my family being one of five, I did feel more empathetic than my siblings. I don't know why. I just naturally kind of felt that way. And I really enjoyed math and logic. So just putting those two together, I think it was just like a natural like explosion. And
0: so for me, you know, it's interesting because it's like, well, one of the first scenes in the book is mm-hmm. my mom taking me aside. and It was like this special personal time together. Yeah. And she's teaching me to read. And this is the first time I've seen, I'm three years old, it's probably the first time I've seen a book in color, yeah. it's a book from oh, the outside, wow. instead of just like our illustrated comic books. And she tells me that like, books are amazing, all you need in life is for somebody to teach you to read, and that books are where we get ideas. Yeah. Right? So of course, I'm three, and my beautiful, amazing mother tells me this, and I'm going to be like, God's gospel truth. Yeah. And then for the next 12 years of my yeah. life, books are banned. Ugh, right. Yeah. So like logically, logically, it's like, how, did bug. You, <laughs> yeah, how did you figure it out? And how, how did your mom like, feel? I think I was just like an atheist born to religious extremism. Like I was just this. I logical, feel that so hard. hard old child.
1: <laughs> yes. That was never going to believe. Oh, other. I got to the point where I was challenging. Now, my dad was never super religious. He definitely he was a software engineer. He was a pilot. He definitely had a logical, mathematical driven mind, engineering mind my mom I would challenge her constantly because she had this just unrelenting faith <laughs> and it, it's impossible to argue with and I was trying to find ways to argue with this impossible argument and then you get all the thought stopping yeah. cliches right the thought,
0: you know, so cults weaponize yeah. language in important ways so yeah. loaded language is one of them where a, a word means a lot of things yeah right like how all the conservatives are freaking Definitely. out about the Barbie movie right now and all their coded language. Yeah. But then you also have thought stopping cliches. Right. Mm-hmm. So trust the profit. Yeah. Right. Uh, one of the ones we get in America trust the a lot is just the process. <laughs> boys will be boys. Oh, yeah. Entrepreneurship is full of thought stopping cliches. Yeah, I say, you know, as an organizational psychologist, one of the biggest ones we see with organizations mm-hmm. is. You signed up for this, or you knew what you signed up for.
1: Yeah. Which I always That's say it's like, it's,
0: one, it's never true. How yes. can you know what you signed up for in, an experience before you have it? Yep. And two, it's only ever used to shut down critical complaint.
1: Yes. Right? Like Absolutely. it's never,
0: it's you knew what you signed up for. Yeah. I, mean, I see this in reviews, like nasty reviews of my book literally say, does she expect us to feel sorry for her? Nobody criticizes. The cult part. Even people who hate the book are like, read the first half. Do you think those are... But as soon as I get to the military, they're like, she knew what she signed up for. Why do we have to feel sorry for her? And if you ask those same people, like, do you know what life is like for women in the military? They have no idea. Yeah. But they are firmly convinced that I knew Mm -hmm. what I was signing up for.
1: Yeah, definitely. Do you... Okay, do you... So any negative reaction you get about your cult, the cult that you came from? Do you think they're ex-cult people? No, I think there is. I'm sorry, or
0: people s- still so in the much. There's so much victim blaming, okay. and so someone said something to me so just of a, a troll. last <laughs> week, which was so they were talking about military rape victims, mm-hmm. but what they said was the best uh, definition of the way people treat cult survivors, which was when there is something too horrible for people to understand. People tell themselves that it could never happen to them Mm -hmm. to comfort themselves. So therefore, the fact that it happened to you Mm -hmm. must be in some way your fault. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is why we get the victim blaming and all the stuff. Right. Oh, if I can just get raped anytime I'm walking down the street, that is Mm -hmm. too terrifying to consider. Yeah. So I'm going to tell myself that it's because of the way she was dressed.
1: It is and amazing so, that that can happen.
0: And so we see that with, you know, even for me, like when I would say, like, I'm a cult survivor, It's like telling someone you have lung cancer, yeah. they're judging you, they are not feeling sorry for you. Yeah. Or were you and a it, smoker? And it takes <laughs> yeah. me going, you know, I was third generation, my mother was born in and got pregnant with me at 14. Yeah. Before people finally kind of get to the, oh, I should not be judging you this much yeah. stage. And that's. You know, one of the re- the things for me in order to be able to speak about it so openly was just realizing, like, I don't owe, I don't own any of their shame. Yeah. You know, Probably. like we're gonna talk about some very personal things. My life is an open book, but like, I don't think anyone who
1: genuinely read your book, and I really mean read it and understand, even if you just get through part one and two, not even getting to the military part, which we'll get into. I don't know how anyone could say anything negative towards you I mean you literally went through horror I mean these people are they are the epitome of evil truly I mean just number one it was basically the handmaid in case anyone's ever seen that show literally Daniela has lived it not only she you were sexually assaulted at the age of six I don't
0: remember when it
1: started yeah you don't even know when it started I mean it was so disgusting what they would do this part, this part, really, I had to put the book down just for a second. Every night, you're not allowed to wear underwear to bed, no panties to bed, and a boy would come in and do a panty check. You should wear on, a man. Or a man would come in and do a panty check on all the little girls. And I'm assuming women, the older women, too? I don't actually know okay. about the older women. I just think at that point. Still, like, they weren't allowed to wear
0: bras, right? Like, they would get in a lot of trouble if someone caught them wearing a bra. I remember even that changing in mm-hmm. front of, and so, okay, so an important thing, there are four very important things about physical appearance mm-hmm. that lead to control, Okay, which is hair, style, length, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's how much of your body is covered or forcibly exposed. Mm-hmm. So like in Children of God, we were always in groups. And I remember being kind of like trying to cover myself up when I was a kid. And that was the sin of pride. Oh, right. So like how much of your body you're forced to show or cover and then body size and underwear. And, you know, one of the reasons I talk about the panty checks, which is it's so creepy, right? It's just so awful. (laughs) But one of the reasons it creeps us out so much to read about it is because it should be private. Right. Like underwear, your underwear should be private. And one of the reasons I put it in the book is because, well, guess what they do in the army? They check your underwear and much more heavily on on women. Mm-hmm. Like the men are issued underwear. The women are expected to buy their own underwear that conforms. There was a girl who was kicked out of basic training for having a red bra. Like she was even wearing it.
1: She brought it with her and she was because they thought out. it was too sexual. Um, the
0: color? I or, think I mean, they make all sorts of excuses, uh-huh. but I think there's it's it's. Automatically, if someone is dictating your underwear to you, it's Mm -hmm. communicating two things. One is I own you, right? Like nothing is private. Mm -hmm. I can come check your underwear anytime. And two, it's this mission is really important. That's why we need to control even your underwear. Both of those things are really, really important in controlling people.
1: And And it was only if you
0: bring it up to any people in the military, like Mm -hmm. appearance control, they'll immediately start talking about how discipline keeps us safe from China.
1: Even though, like, <laughs> yeah, we're not in an existential threat from China. I don't think a red bra is the issue. <laughs> I mean. Unbelievable. Huge
0: amount of controversy over letting women in the army wear a braid instead of a bun. Uh, in what? 2021. Really? Yeah. And even when you can make, like, a direct connection to forcing women into difficult hairstyles mm-hmm. and assaulting women, uh-huh. which you can make. And still, it was like have to have this and it's there's so much about about hair and control mm-hmm. and underwear and control that just yeah. has
1: to do with
0: it. it's such a personal thing yeah and it ties so hard into your identity both of those things
1: what was the reason for not wearing panties oh this
0: was even more important it was that women are disgusting so because that's an important part of controlling women. What did
1: they think? No underwear. So, so
0: we were told that you have to air out your vagina oh. every night. Okay. Because if you don't, it'll be gross. Okay. Um, he, so also, like yeah, he also a natural. He also basically something? was very, very against men going down on women. Oh, and really? All kinds of. Which you know, this is something I didn't even. Sounds like
1: feelings of inadequacy. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is
0: something I didn't even <laughs> consciously absorb <laughs> yeah. growing up.
1: But then I had a lot of. Like, Let me tell you, real that might- real men like to go down on women, and <laughs> and it is the first thing they offer. So he sounds like a bitch. Mm-hmm. That's it. Just it just blows my mind, and it blows. You never, it's, is that, does an auntie ever check? Oh, by the way, I it's guess- also part of getting women
0: to hate themselves, right? Or yes. like getting like women yeah, deconstruct to think they so. are inferior. Mm-hmm. And so yes, the aunties would check or they would remind us, you know, there's okay. a part of the birthday party where I'm reminded not to wear underwear under the transparent gown that I'm wearing and that's by an auntie. Yeah. But it was more, I think it was important that it was the men doing it or even the boys, yeah. right? Because they're policing the proper behavior of the women.
1: Yeah. It's just so. And one thing was also kind of crazy, they basically were okay with minors having some alcohol. It would allow you to drink champagne, some wine. Was that basically just to... Alcohol was very controlled Uh in the cult and so it was
0: just hilarious because David Berg was absolutely an alcoholic, but he managed to hide that from most of his followers Okay, and then use it to control. But then on the flip side, it would also be used like cults will use drugs and alcohol in group settings. Yeah.
1: To make people more manipulated. So, like, what age were you allowed to drink some champagne? I don't like, I don't like-
0: know what the official age was, yeah. but I know that in my communes at about six or seven, like we were always drinking communion. Yeah. At about six or seven, I would say we started getting half a glass of bubbly uh-huh. whatever mm-hmm. at, Big events yeah, and then of course it's a commune setting so yeah see.
1: were they allowed to do you anything at, else you see me
0: at seven in the book like grabbing like five different girls yeah <laughs> <that's true. laughs> so basically like i am wasted Drink at, off. <laughs> as little um mm-hmm. but it was it was just more about the control yeah, right? yeah like definitely. you can have it it's not that the alcohol it's evil it's it's you can have it when we say you can have it and you can't have it when we say you can't have it. Gotcha. And there's a, a final thing about how like cults often do this where they recruit from the very lowest levels of society mm-hmm. you even see this in the military. And then people have to get clean. Right? The family, the children yeah. we got in the beginning was no drugs, no sex, no alcohol. Okay. And so people get clean. And then as soon as they get clean, they record their they call it the traumatic testimony. Uh-huh. Actually, AA kind of does this. And then you use it as the this is what's like, we grew up reading the worst stories of what happens to people on drugs and alcohol in the outside world. Like I was reading those when I was five, gotcha and six and seven. And so it's they very much use it That seems it to be a tactic as, of Christianity. Yeah, and it's kind of purity mm-hmm. culture in yeah. general, right? Like, we're not doing this. We're not putting these things inside of our bodies. Therefore, yeah. we're better than you. But again, it's not like they had some sort of morality against right? alcohol because we were allowed to drink it. Oh, my God, we'd be out. We would be out, like, busking on the streets in Brazil at, like, 10 years old. <laughs> and I remember being given beer, and that yeah. was, like, totally fine.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, like, to get alcohol at a young age in some cultures is totally fine. Even you know my parents even gave it to me probably 11 12 years old, but it was a tiny bit, but it almost seemed like you were using it at such a young age as an escape. Like you're like, "Oh, I want these bubbles to make me feel fuzzy." So totally. I can get through this situation. I know I have to that's be put what to mo- bed by these
0: two teenage boys that are... Yes.
1: I mean, just the fact that you knew to use this substance to mask this horrible reality you were living. I think that's what got to me. I was just like, oh my God, this poor thing. She's already realized, okay, here, I'm going to turn to something to get through this. Yeah, And, you know, one of the, the most stark things, you know... Uncultured
0: opens with the first rule of cults is you're never in a cult. Right. <laughs> and this is it's just my way of explaining that no matter how horrible it is, mm-hmm. it seems normal if that's all you know. Of course. And so children will adults who grew up in children of God will still debate to this day if it was a cult or how bad it was. Yet the majority of us report our first suicidal ideology at the ages of three or four. Right. Like that's intense. So um, that is like an intensely bad situation. And even if nobody's ever told you, you know, we are being told this is love from the beginning. And that was literally me, you know, at six years old going like, I don't care if this is love. I want out of here.
1: Yeah. So immediately. So did you was there ever a point as a young girl where you were just like, this is not too bad? Or did you? Always resisted the second and older or any of the boys
0: always resisted it. Yeah, I, you know, one of the like my parenting strategy is mostly we don't use parent led consequences at all. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that makes sense to me is because I spent so many hours of my life. And I'm telling you, like as a 10 year old, I mean, I was I probably spent half the month in solitary confinement. That's so that's, that's
1: like what we do. The to entire
0: time I was just scheming. I was yeah. scheming about how I was going to get these people, yeah. or like convincing myself how I was right, right? Like it never, yeah. never did I believe it. Now I do. There was a lot of times that I would just tell myself, like, just go with the program. And like, okay, get the spirit. Go yeah. like. You know, we had this theory that everyone could talk to God and get prophecies. Yeah. So it's basically like, go do some meditation. Like, decide you're yeah. going to be okay with this. And it would pretty much last until the first time some auntie said some ridiculous thing to me. And I was right. like, this is just bullshit. But the thing I the thing that I think is important. So I in my in my 10 part model for cults, the step two is the sacred assumption. Mm-hmm. And when you're under the sacred assumption, you can justify anything. And so for children of God, the sacred assumption was this random man is the prophet of God. Right. So we will yeah. justify anything, even pedophilia, mm-hmm. because he is, right? Or in the case right. of Nexium, the modern day sex cult, it was Yeah. this man is the smartest man on earth. It, so right. <laughs> we will go along with whatever he says. Mm. And so for me, you know, you see the I call it the crack in the brainwashing or the crack in the sacred assumption. Right. This is for me on 9-11 mm-hmm. where I I am watching this horror. My people are praising God for his just punishment of America. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing the term religious extremism. And that was the moment for me, even though for all of my 14 years, I'd been trying to get out of there. Like I'd been making plans to get away since I was six years old mm-hmm. and being like, well, if I'm going to go to hell, hell's going to suck. Right. But I always thought it was me and not them. Mm-hmm. Right. I always thought the problem was with me. I just don't
1: belong here. Right. And it wasn't until that moment where mm-hmm. I was like, That Okay. That part in the book blew my mind. Okay. So Danielle is only a year. You're only a year older than me. I'm 35 or 36. I remember when 9-11 happened, I was at my school here in Florida turned on the TV and my teacher who was from New York, which a lot of people in South Florida are screamed. I, I didn't even, I was so taken back at her. What happened? I didn't even understand what was happening. You know, in the beginning we thought it was just maybe a private plane that went off course, hit the towers. We were just like, how could this happen? And then on live, on the air, live, the second one hit, and then we were just like, oh my God, we are under attack. So the fact and so, that- so
0: similar, but <laughs> yeah. I didn't even- I say that it was the first time I saw
1: live news
0: on. Oh, the right. only thing, it was almost the first time I saw live television on. Yeah, The only thing I'd ever seen on live television was the World Cup because I was in Brazil. Makes sense. And, and so <laughs> I- First, like, literally, my first question was, Why do we have a movie on at eight o'clock in the morning?
1: Oh my God. And the only reason
0: we even knew about it is because somebody had a gym membership, which was like super, a super systemite outsider thing right. to do. But we were living in the US yeah. and had gone to the gym and had seen it. And I, it was like, first I had to even understand what live news was like this is actually happening in part of America called York you know like it was just and you were so... in
1: San Diego at this had, point yes
0: and we had just come to America
1: so we just come
0: to America which was one my biggest culture shock but also where my life got a lot better yeah so I was also in this place of being like a 14 year old being told that Americans were evil mm-hmm. we called it Babylon the whore and meanwhile I'm like but everybody's so nice up. here and my life got significantly better right because people outsiders care about us and yep. we don't live behind these walls and all of this stuff so you know it was both this weird thing of being like oh i'm american and then being like oh america's under attack and my people don't seem horrified by this yeah yeah, in fact, they were just, praying right, for right, them, praising God, praising right? like, God, this is your promised judgment. This was the you know, we've been taught California is going to fall into the sea
1: and right. All yeah, of the I think people still predict evil that. <laughs> <and> pure, <laughs>
0: yeah. all of the stuff. Right. And so it was very. Oh, yeah. This is God's judgment.
1: Um, I mean, yeah. we see
0: this out of evangelical parts of America. for, sure. For all kinds of disasters. Yeah. And, you know, the thing in in the book that like really gets to Americans is that it was one of my siblings' birthdays that day. Mm -hmm. And we had a birthday party. Yeah, regardless. I don't think anyone else in America had a birthday party that day. Like, if you were born on September 11th, you just didn't celebrate your birthday that
1: day. I actually follow this chick on TikTok. She came up on my For You page. She's like, my birthday is 9-11, and her name is Isis Snowden. No joke. (gasps) Like, this poor girl just got, like, a triple (laughs) whammy. But yeah, no. Um,
0: yeah, and like for us, it yeah. was no big deal, right? Like We turned yeah. off the TV and went out and literally went panhandling, which was then it was going door to door singing yeah. to people. And this was another crazy scene in the book where we're like, we're teenagers. We're singing about love. Yeah. Right. So everybody's just like, oh, this is amazing. Right. They're standing yeah. they're hugging each other. They're crying. Mm-hmm. They think we're just doing this because of the horrible thing that happened today. But like, you're, you're, just you're trying, trying to get teenagers out spreading <laughs> love. And I swear we moved in for that sale. And like this man, like, I will never forget it. Because right? I would never had someone be like outrightly mean to me before when mm-hmm. I was panhandling. This man just started yelling at us. Like, how dare you? you know, we're trying to capitalize on the misery of America. And, and we left. And I told my team, I was like, we're not asking for any more money today. Like, we're just going to go sing. And that oh was the best God. day we had. Yeah. You know, like just singing, just like feeling the emotion, feeling connected to people. Mm-hmm. You know, a very real thing that we What did all you feel happen.
1: when you were watching it? Were were you conflicted on feeling bad, but yet thinking I it's God's will? Definitely did not think
0: it was God's will. Okay. I don't I don't think I had any belief left in God at gotcha. that point. Yep. Like I literally thought some god guy was <laughs> how yeah. it would think of God or this yeah. god guy. I was I was probably a lot less horrified than the average American just because I had grown up like we were an international cult, you know. So I, I had a very similar actually reaction when Sandy Hook happened and I was just back from Afghanistan that year. The same month Sandy Hook happened, there was a killing. It was somewhere somewhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. And I remember being infuriated that Americans cared so much about a shooting in their own backyard, but they couldn't care less about all the children being killed in Afghanistan or all the, you know, just like those things. Yeah. So I always had this weird sort of like disassociation of like, oh, nasty things happen in the world all the time. Right. You know, kind of so what that it's happening here. Yeah. But then watching Mm -hmm. it. Right. So same thing with Sandy Hook. Like I pulled up photos and like when you're looking through all of the photos of the individual children mm-hmm. who died. And that's when I just crumpled. Yeah. So that was kind of that thing for me. Sandy it's Hook like, was we're just... always We're always taught that all the horrors that happen around the world are part of God's plan. That's what we were always taught. But when, when you're watching people decide to jump to their death mm-hmm. out of a building. No,
1: it's. You're like, it's there's no God here. You know, you know, uh, we were also taught that in our Christian school. And it really that was one thing I could never get behind. I was just like, okay, this is the God who loves us. He's an unjust, you know, he's a just God. There's no mistakes. I'm just like, so why did all these people die? Why is a child born with cancer? I mean, that it was even one of my things to this day
0: that I tell you know, religious people there people are always trying to convert me. And I say, first of all, like one of the scars mm-hmm. that most of us have from that childhood mm-hmm. is the inability to be religious, the inability to believe in anything, yeah. right? Because that was sort of taken away from us. Right. But if God is real, oh well. <laughs> I don't think any God. Is, if God is real and He's sending me to hell for not believing in Him after everything that I suffered in yeah. His name. Then that God is really awful, yeah. Right? And I don't want any part of that. And yeah. if if your version of God is real, then I think He forgives me for absolutely not knowing what to believe after being tortured in His name for
1: absolutely all of my childhood. So. Totally agree. I'm kind of on the Ricky Gervais um, version of atheism. <laughs> 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 Just leave me alone with my cat. <laughs> so okay, so the other thing. Okay, so the children of God. You, all the women were aunties, and ba- and all the men were uncles. And basically, any of them had the right to discipline. Was there rankings on them, or was it basically anyone could do whatever they There's wanted? Definitely
0: rankings, because okay. we always had the shepherds. Right, so okay. our communes were called homes, and then we had the home shepherds. Uh-huh. One of my favorite quotes in uncultured is when I say thing they don't tell you about the shepherd analogy is that the shepherd always eats his sheep in the end yes no and of course that's after fleecing them Um, (laughs) right but so so there was definitely like a thing so like definitely like uncles were more important than aunties right and so usually the aunties would do their kind of torture but non-physical punishments but if you needed a physical punishment they would call in the uncles right but it was also just like I think I talk about this in the book where, like, if part is part about being a kid in that environment is you don't necessarily know what the rules are. So things get you in trouble one day. They don't get you in trouble the next day. Like, yeah. we had a ban on being cool. So if someone decided something you, you were doing was you trying to be cool. You could get in trouble, even though there was no specific rule against that, which, by the way, there's a parallel in the military where your con- commander can decide that you look too faddish. Oh my Even god! Even if everything but, is in regulation, like my curly hair was often too fancy because it looked like an what, updo.
1: What is it with men and the curly hair? No, I had i my poor friend. She was also part of basically a cult, and she had a cousin that had really curly hair. And the pastor of that church banned I think curly it's because hair because it's
0: out of control. I think they they need to control Logic. everything. And that, the <gasps> okay. thing you learn about curly hair is you're either what about dudes you're either straightening hair? it or you're just giving up on controlling it. Yeah.
1: right. Okay, and what so, about dudes with curly hair? Well, less I, controlled,
0: oh. less controlled. But dudes could definitely be considered like long, like dudes with long hair that were proud of their hair would yeah. always be made to cut their. Hair.
1: Yeah, that's true. Oh um, That actually and, happened in hers as and well.
0: this goes back to... You know, I would tell, like, men mm-hmm. joining the military, my advice to them is always shave your own head three weeks before you go to bed your training. Otherwise, because gonna that do. is a... Well, that's an... Um, they're going to do it anyways. That's why yeah. three weeks, give it a little time to grow back. But if you've never looked at your bare skull in the mirror like you need to have that experience that's before a good they take it from you like yeah. that's a moment of ownership for them right right um don't pull a britney spears that is is really <laughs> yeah. intense and like we were not actually one of the reasons i always had shorter hair is because my mom was allowed to so when i was born i my mom was 15 mm-hmm. she was still not allowed to cut her own hair for three more years without permission from her father but she could cut my hair so I was like, she owned me, but the group still owned her. Yeah, and so, so all of that means it's like would be like if a home shepherd came by. I remember one time, like I was put in a timeout by someone in the morning, and I was still there by dinner. They were trying to find this person to ask if I could be let out of confinement.
1: Just, and so
0: it was. That's yeah, like worse it's treatment just all than about keeping
1: you prisoners
0: on your toes. and really you never know how you're allowed to act so you're always policing yourself
1: was there ever an uncle or an auntie that like showed some type of empathetic nature and you know i just read this comment
0: recently that in a book that said you know all throughout history there's Mm -hmm. always been people that have refused to dehumanize others yeah in my life I would say both in the cult and out of the cult, there have always been women that like reached out and helped me or protected me when they didn't need to. They've almost always been women of color, which is just something that stands out to me. Mm -hmm. We certainly had, you know, so Auntie Patty in the book is one of them. And then for me, because I was one of the younger children, Mm -hmm. I also had this nice barrier of the all of the. Children of the children of God that were my mom's age, you know, mm-hmm. so we were raised in large part by 16 year olds. Yeah. And so you see in the worst chapter, it's like I have Auntie Jade, a 16 year old who's on my side. Yeah. You know, and kind of trying to the, the line I use for both the the good aunties and the, the older girls is like they're trying to teach us the lessons they were taught mm-hmm. in slightly kinder ways. You know, so they couldn't totally go against the group, but they were always trying to be nice to the children Mm -hmm. or, you know, and in some way, diminish the impact of what was going on there. Um, But I think there's also this important thing when we talk about that, which is the whole nice person stereotype. Mm -hmm. You know, so people are like, "My, my dad can't be a racist. He's such a nice guy. To which I say there were nice people in the sex cult, too. Sure. You know, and and the the impact Mm -hmm. of our reality growing up there, it's not any lessened by the fact that there were some nice people.
1: Yeah. Um, So, And there was also some not so nice people. Um, So you had this really horrific story in your book where you asked a question that basically they thought was not a good question. To be asked, and you were handed off to Uncle Jerry for punishment. And he proceeded to punish you in one of the most horrific ways possible. He beat you, raped you, and basically kept you, was it about two days? No, I think it was about 10 hours. Oh, okay. so It was
0: like from the morning till, till well after dark of one day. One second
1: too long.
0: <laughs> and... And so couple of, I think, very interesting things about this. So this is where we start to talk about good uncles versus the bad uncles. Mm -hmm. We just talked about, like, yes, there were good people in the cult. And I always thought of my stepfather, for example, as one of them. Mm -hmm. Like, not only did he never sexually assault me, he's also very famous. And I've never heard of him sexually assaulting anyone. Yeah. However, when I am drug passed... By by a well-known, like probably the most famous pedophile in this group other than David Berg. Mm -hmm. And when I, at the age of five or six, am drug past my stepfather Mm -hmm. by this really evil, violent man, my stepfather asked no questions.
1: Did he ever find out what happened to your stepfather?
0: I'm sure he's heard about it. Mm -hmm. I have not specifically spoken with him about it. I mean, I never even figured out a way to tell my mom what happened. I just gave her the book. Yeah. Um, And even her response was, you know, the same uncle had molested her when she was a child. Mm. Because the rules had changed. It never crossed her mind. So he touched both of you. Yeah, but it never crossed her mind that these same uncles were doing things to her daughters because she had so much faith in, like, the system. I think we always see this with rebranding of these groups yeah I say all the time I'm like you people really think that telling the pedophiles not to rape the children made them stop yeah like it didn't and it also just I think made it much more violent yeah you know where unfortunately for my mom she was being told all of this was being done in love Mm -hmm. and like I was being told that too but mine was much more violent much more secretive yeah so just different ways of the abuse coming up. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, so many people in these situations try to comfort themselves. with yeah. I didn't know. And parents often, when they let coercive groups do things to their children, mm-hmm. they will respond with, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that's my mom being sent off at 13 to marry a 75-year-old dude or me being taken off into this basement. And, you know, when you see that scene, and I'm drug right past my father. And my answer to this is it's your job to know, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's your job to know what mm-hmm. is being done yeah. to your child. Nobody yeah, can drag absolutely. my child off by the hand and disappear her for 10 hours without me burning down the world to find right. her. And I don't even know if my parents knew anything about me until the next day. Ugh.
1: You know, and all well, these, like, we were off. It's the perfect setup for something this egregious to happen. Yeah. Because the family's been deconstructed, you don't spend every moment with your parents. In fact, you don't. Some of them might not even know who their dad is. Maybe not know their mom. Well, I guess definitely would know their I mom. Think the but worst part for me was I just thought my parents knew.
0: Yeah, you know, like I especially because my mom had also been born and raised in this environment. Yeah. I just thought you know this is this is life. Like mm-hmm. why in my mind I'm being punished because I did something really awful. So yeah. why would I go? You know, I was worried. I was literally in that basement worried that my mom was going to my parents were also going to be punished for what yeah. I did. Yeah. You know, so I'm not going to draw attention to it, which again, this is a common thing that we see mm-hmm. in pedophilia cases. Right. It's, you know, threatening bad impacts for the parent or the family. Yeah. And in in a cult, like that has all just been done. That's been worked into the fabric yeah. of know if i complain and my mom tries to stand up for me next thing i know my mom is just going to be sent to russia which by the way my her first husband had just been sent off to russia
1: and then left the family from there and we never saw him again this is so crazy so now in the book you say he was from the music industry still received royalties you do not mention him by name except uncle jerry i did a little bit of research you do not have to confirm but from all my research it looks like uncle jerry is jeremy spencer who was one of the guitarists from fleetwood mac and uh this is he actually has quite a few things against him uh alleged child sex abuse though i don't believe he was ever truly convicted of anything Jeremy Spencer is one of the more famous members yep. of the Children of God. And he actually was in another book, a 2007 book called Not Without My Sister. It was written about some horrors that um, they did, uh, he did to them. So this was, that was some of my research. I was really taken back. I had no idea the Children of God had a famous member. And, and because,
0: because of the fact that he was, one, famous. Mm-hmm. like He still had the ability to earn money. like He still yeah. toured the developing world doing concerts as Jeremy Spencer. who He actively brought in additional money to the children of God, but he also received royalties. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I say in the book that in a society where supposedly we had no rank or class or anything, you mm-hmm. know, he had the same power as some of these people out here in Palm Beach. Right. Because...
1: He came with money. Yeah. When I put the two and two together, I was just like, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. So moving on from the Children of God, we could talk about that all day. Um, and I know we don't have that much time left, but you end up joining the army. And uh, this was very eye-opening to me. I only know a few people that actually went into the military, various branches. The I could not believe the way they treated women. And in, uh, you know, 2007, 2008, I mean, as someone of the same age, I thought we were past this, but you were actually part of the first group of women that actually went into combat in Afghanistan. Yeah.
0: So I was very surprised joining in 2009, you know, not from a military background, not even really from America, mm-hmm. to find out that I'm serving under this combat ban that says women cannot be essentially anywhere in the line of operations. Right. What it keeps you out from. And especially the fact that we were fighting a war with no front lines made it really obvious that it was unjust and kind of just about control, Mm -hmm. which I say is always true when you're a group of people that's banned from something that you know you can do. Mm -hmm. In fact, usually when a group of Can't do something, we don't have to make laws to ban them from it. Right, right. Um, (laughs) And so I'm serving under this. So, yeah, I do become one of the women. And this was very interesting. So, it's because of the situation in Afghanistan, once they realized we are fighting a counterinsurgency, Mm -hmm. first of all, no one's ever won a counterinsurgency. So, that was the point. We should have gotten out of there. That was the point. It became like, uh, They realize like, oh, we got to go win the hearts and minds of the people. Right. Mm -hmm. And we've all heard this phrase. Well, as soon as we're like, okay, well, we need the people to like us. Right. So conservative Muslim country, that means that we should respect their laws about men searching women, touching women, looking at women. Definitely. Um, So, of course, terrorists will very quickly exploit that. right? So we had people dressing up in Mm burqas, bombs, getting on the helicopters, things like that. So we always say it's a little ironic that going to war in a nation that we consider to be a thousand years behind us in societal development is Mm -hmm. what forced the U.S. Army into the 21st century. And so I was part of the first. (laughs) It was a group of 43 women. And this was like secret from the country at the time because we're still under the congressional ban. But they were like, "Okay, we're sending you out on deliberate combat patrols. And as always, words matter, right? Yeah. So this thing of deliberate, right? Because for, you know, it's always very important for me to say that women have been fighting in active combat in every conflict since the Revolutionary War. Yeah. Um. But military didn't have to admit that. So it means they didn't have to give us weapons or equipment that work for us. Right. They didn't have to give us training. Mm-hmm. And they could always, you know, Jessica Lynch, for example, is blamed for being the person that failed the mission, yeah. even though she wasn't given training. So, you know, yeah. she acted like a supply sergeant because that's how she was trained to act. Got it. Um, and so very interestingly, putting us into deliberate ground combat mm-hmm. was the first step in changing everything because now you have a bunch of army commanders mm-hmm. deliberately sending out soldiers you know it's yeah. very obvious when we get to the unit mm-hmm. six women we've had one week of cultural support training mm-hmm. and the two of us that are officers have had some basic yeah lanes of combat training we call it yeah and like we're going out with on patrols with these men that minimum have 13 months doing what they're doing we're going out Amazing. in armor that doesn't necessarily keep us alive because we're women and they yeah. haven't thought about how boo effect <laughs> uh, yep. bullet blocking armor you know so there's all these different things that yeah. they then have as soon as it's deliberate mm-hmm. they have to change that very quickly got it very interesting going into like from the flame into the frying pan yeah you know, of which of course the prologue of uncultured is me standing a basic yeah. training with this duffel bag over my head going "Oh, i just joined another cult
1: yeah so just a final question before we wrap up here how how do you feel about the situation in Afghanistan right now, knowing that the Taliban's back in control? Do you feel what you did was for naught or do you still feel that the U.S. had some validity being there? It's a kind of a complex question, but it if you could sum it up. It's a complex question. <laughs>
0: I, I will say my husband and I last year, Kabul or Kandahar fell and Kabul fell in mm-hmm. the space of about a week. Yeah. And like we did not get out of our pajamas for two. Well, you know, and it was like, everything feels different, mm-hmm. right? Like, in the book, there's this chapter called "The Day Memorialized, which is when we have this really, really awful event, mm-hmm. and we bury 10 people, and, like, we all knew then. Like, everyone fighting over there, like, mm-hmm. like we knew the reason was not valid. Like, you know, like, I don't mm-hmm. think any of us really believed in what we were over there doing. Right. But you at least had that story to tell. Yeah. And I think that's part of why, you know, like I would, I used to say all the time that I know that my six guys died for nothing, but their families get to believe that they were heroes. Mm. As soon as everything gets erased. Yeah. And politically, this is part of why we stayed there for so long, because if you pull out, you always knew we would immediately lose everything. Yeah, it's a vacuum. And... But that is also why nobody wins a counterinsurgency because all they have to do is wait you out, um, and so it feels—it feels like everything. Not only everyone we lost was for nothing, but like my job over there was to sit with the women and drink tea and play with the children. Yeah. And any of them are still alive.
1: Yeah, that's mm, that's a that's a hard one to swallow. Thank you so much for coming. Your book is amazing. Everyone should get it. It's called Uncultured. And please, Daniela, tell us where we can find you on TikTok, your social media, Instagram. Yeah, so you find the book anywhere you buy books. And the audio
0: apparently is quite good. It, it's very good. <laughs> <laughs> and hardest thing, one of the hardest things I've ever done was record that audio. You can also find me on TikTok at Daniela Mestanek Young, but maybe the easier way is to just type in hashtag group behavior gal. Okay. Where you will find me always knitting at people and talking <laughs> about group behavior.
1: For those of and- you listening, she knitted the whole time. <laughs> it. And I am
0: right now working on another book called The Culting of America, which really is about like really getting into this 10 part definition, mm-hmm. but showing that like, it's not a binary question. Like, are you a cult or not? Yeah. That's like saying like, is a person toxic? or not you right know? like it's a spectrum right so we're I'm all giving toxic. you the cultiness spectrum <laughs> yeah but i'm also showing you that if you break out every part of this group behavior like i'm, I'm gonna show it to you yeah in capital c cults <laughs> socially accepted cults like a right. military or something else and then like in your world yeah so come join me on TikTok where I basically am doing all of this research and stuff and talking to people and mm-hmm. I feel like weaponizing people's interest in cults to teach them stuff about hey, how culty their own world. You have friends. to do it. You have to sell. I <laughs> you know, part of part of this book, I think, part of the value is the shock value of mm-hmm. most normal people have not thought about the parallels between yeah. the world's most notorious sex cult and mm-hmm. the. Beloved, worshipped U.S. Army. Yep. And when you see those parallels, like, so strongly, it's going to make you question. And my signature on every book that I sign is, what cults are you in? What cults are right? you in? Know? And I just want people to think about those things. Mm-hmm. And you kind of mentioned that, you know, when you hear the high lines of the story, you think, oh, that's so crazy. But then you read the book and you're like, oh, I've been through something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been through this. Yep. And so it's really just begging people to question you know i'm not saying the army is as bad as the sex cult but like there
1: there are more similarities than any of us feel comfortable with there's larger cages than other that's for sure well once again thank you so much for coming on i appreciate it